seen until you let go of what is seen. I'm talking about your money. And then also, uh, Victoria found out she's going to be out of work uh, for at least next week because the final kid, the last kid standing at the daycare, uh, his mom caught COVID. So the last kid is everybody else sick. Yeah, dude, there it's rampant throughout Lanier County schools right now. Like it is fucking nuts. They don't mask up at the school. No. Even though there's a statewide mandate that schools are supposed to. <laughs> and it's just a fucking, it is a shit show in Lanier County High School. And my grandma wonders why I didn't enroll Harlan in pre-K. And I'm yeah. like, this is why. This, exactly this. Once yeah. she's able to get a vaccine, she can go to pre-K. But until then, no fucking way. That's the big thing here, too, is that, I mean, I'm being less, little less cautious than usual because I have been vaccinated, but... You know anybody I know that's got kids is just taking it. I mean, they're they're losing their minds, and I understand. I totally get it. You know, we keep pushing our the the office opening date back more and more. Now it's looking like November. Um, but well, it's just, with me, it's like you know, it's whatever. Like if I go in a store, if I go to work, you know, mask on because there's a lot of people at my work that's been catching COVID. Yeah, and you don't want to go to Harlan. Yeah, 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 and. I don't know. I feel okay about the trip that we're taking next, the weekend after next, because I trust our group of friends, I guess. Yeah, and it's outside. At least Ranger yeah. is. Well, yeah, I'm going to the show the day before that, too, though. The Dan Housen. Can, yeah, if, if tickets are fucking. I'm, I thought about messaging Dom. It's like, is there any like cheaper tickets? What are they? <laughs> well, the only thing they have available, the only thing they have listed anyway on the website is stage, stage front row. Floor, front row, second row, third row. I don't have any standing room tickets listed, which I thought was really weird. Is it the Odeon? Yeah. They may just they may still be waiting to release the standing room tickets. Which, I mean, I'd rather have standing room tickets just because I don't think, I don't know, wrestling isn't a show to sit down at. I want to stand up. I want to be in the shit, man. Yeah. You either, <laughs> go front, you either go front row or you go standing, I think. Now that I know what the venue looks like. Mm-hmm. Victoria got me some uh, some coffee. Uh, Starbucks was out of vin- uh, grande cups, so everybody gets a venti for the price of a grande. <laughs> Pins and pennies, Bubba. Yeah, man, <laughs> dude. So the Starbucks is in Valdosta. There's two in Valdosta, right? And the, there's one that is currently under construction, and then the second one is so understaffed that they have you can't do mobile orders. No mobile orders allowed because they're really understaffed. And their hours are like crazy. Like they go from like eight to two or three in the afternoon, and it's nuts. It's like, and they never have any, anything. I was like, is man, it, this this is wild. Is it's, it a COVID related like, staffing shortage? Oh, I mean, I would assume so. What was it like that before COVID? <laughs> oh no, 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 no! Like it okay. was the best Starbucks before COVID because the other Starbucks never had anything. <laughs> like you'd go, you'd go on their menu, like on the app, and like, okay, they're out of this, they're out of this, they're out of this. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, we just the, the new where we moved our new office. I used to have a really great Starbucks, and I knew the staff, and they'd been the same team for years. I mean, literally, these these people have worked there forever. 
And now we got this new one that is way too busy and way too small. And like I go in and there's just people crammed in together. And I'm like, this is, I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> I know it's a stupid thing, but I'm like, I really don't enjoy coming in here. There's too many people too closely. I mean, the people that yeah. work there seem nice, but I just don't. Yeah. This is like a post-COVID thing that they're too close or was it yeah. like that before? I, well, I don't know because we moved during COVID. We moved oh, gotcha. During COVID, gotcha, so. gotcha. Yeah, it just seems like it just feels like there's not a lot of people. There's not a lot of offices open still right now, and so I'm going, and it's as busy as it is. And there's not a lot of offices around there that are open. Like, what does it look like when all the offices are open? It feels like mm. it's going to be even bigger shit show yeah. than it is right now. Maybe yeah, not, yeah, but I, sure. I really think that like it's only going to get bigger or only going to get worse when we all get back together. Man, I'm hoping uh, hoping something happens soon for this. It's looking like there's going to be another shot. Do you think there'll be another shutdown? What, what's the over-under on think, uh, shutdown I, chances? I think you were right. I think they can't do it because people are going to lose their fucking minds. Um, yeah, also, yeah, yeah, for sure. But I also think as long as the vaccines hold out against Delta, it changes kind of the, the formula that it did. You know, because, I mean, initially there were no people vaccinated. Nobody wore masks. That's why it spread so fast. This time, at least sixty percent of the country is vaccinated. Or is it sixty percent now? I don't. It, it's whatever number it is, I don't know. I don't. I, I thought it was like fifty. <laughs> I we were like, to, they hit fifty not long ago, um, but I don't. I don't know. It was. It's. It's interesting to see. I just saw something that I thought was interesting. That uh, the CDC is reporting that. No, maybe it's not the CDC, maybe it's the HRC, is saying that 90% of LGBTQ adults have been vaccinated, which I thought, I was like, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I just, I, I wasn't sure. I would, I think that might be an undercount because I also feel like the HRC, which is a human rights campaign, very problematic organization, but also. Oh, really? Yeah. That's problematic. <laughs> well, they're, I mean, they're like the biggest lgbtq lobbyist basically but okay. they they're really just you know they're very like cis white people you know white gay people has kind of been traditionally there who they look out for the most you know they've gotcha. had a really gotcha. problematic history with trans folk and leaving them out of the conversation with black and brown people it's really been you know like they're this they're this polished washington dc lobby group and it's like you don't they're they have representation issues and they continue gotcha. to stay they're also really tied to the democratic party to like uh it's the one of the guys that's the, the ceo of it just got entangled in all of this andrew cuomo bullshit that's been going on in new york and yikes people are like yeah you need to resign dude that you were doubling down on andrew cuomo and defending him secretly by writing these meant uh these these memos that were disparaging the woman that accused him of uh, sexual assault and i was like this is this fucking guy is running the hrc are you kidding me so <laughs> there are problems all right so we're back Question mark? Question mark? <laughs> I, I don't know i don't know it depends on if we actually release an episode before this episode because there was one recorded but has yet to be edited <laughs> and i don't not, know if they want that trash and we're not sure if it's actually going to make the cut so there may be a lost episode that happened between the last episode which the last one that posted was what was the last one posted oh it was leroy Lee jenkins Allen, leroy jenkins yeah uh, and this episode, which, um, you know, we'll see. 
there may be a lost episode. Yeah. It'll never, it'll never be released. <laughs> oh, sh- 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 that was a fucking disaster. Never ever come into it without a script. A script. <laughs> that is, we we attempted. We an attempt was made. I got in trouble at work, quote unquote trouble, with my boss because we haven't released anything new. So we got to get on that. <laughs> well, we are, yeah, we're we're further behind. But you've also had a, you, you got to tell him. I think that's probably why I gave you the weekend off, is because I did that. Over the weekend. Part of me really thinks so. Uh, that's the reason he didn't want me to work all weekend because he told me Friday is like, dude, you gotta take a day off. I'm about to drive to so and so. I need something to listen to. I'm like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Uh, well, other than that, how are you doing? You, you're you're alive. This is good. Barely, if I don't have a fucking stroke. <laughs> All right, so uh, I can I can say this on there. She don't listen to this shit. But uh, so I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start it off. We're telling. I guess I'll tell the whole thing. In December, we, me and my wife, took in a person who needed a place to stay. She had been staying with some people and she was no longer going to be able to stay with those people and to avoid her possibly being homeless me and my wife were like hey why don't you just stay with us you know you can come and stay long enough to get on your feet and then go on your way you know like normal people would and like normal people we thought you know a couple weeks i'm not the best you know what i mean so this is december we get through christmas get through january we get through february we get through march we get through april we get through may we get through june and here we are in july and i'm having to resign my lease because it had been a year since we had stayed here and that was kind of like my point of like putting or me and my wife's point of putting our foot down and we're like okay if you're going to stay here you have to pay a third of the rent a third of the electricity and a third of the internet, which all comes out to around like four hundred and thirty or four hundred and forty dollars, right? Which is good. She makes more than I. I know she makes more than I do, and I make fifteen dollars an hour. So if I can afford our total rent for over a year on fifteen dollars an hour, yep. Surely, if she makes more than me, she can afford a third of the rent, right? Right. Okay. Very fair ask. <laughs> Right. Three adults live here. A third is what I expect. So she does, she pays in July. August comes around and I'm starting to have to ask like, Hey, where's the money? Hey, where's the money? Hey, where's the money? And she cited some problems with her paycheck through her employer. And at this point, I'm starting to get the idea of, Oh shit, you got fired. And that's the reason you don't have any money right now. And she keeps saying, like, no, it's my employer. It's my employer. Well, she sends me a text and tells me, hey, I'm going to go to this treatment center over the weekend. Right? Because she's having mental health problems, apparently. And I don't want to take mental health lightly. Please don't think this is me doing that. But I don't think that's why she left. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I start sending texts like, hey, did you get that paycheck situation cleared up? Hey. ETA when you're getting back. Hey, did you get that thing figured out with your employer? All of these being left on red, none of them being answered. On Monday, she sends a group text to me and my wife saying due to her mental health, she will not be able to stay at our house anymore. And 
honestly, I don't think she had that much of a fucking like. What, what was so bad about staying there? Like, what? Why is? What are? What is my house doing to deteriorate your mental health? You don't clean. You don't cook. You don't fucking do dishes. You don't sweep. You don't vacuum. You just stay in your room, order Grubhub. Meanwhile, me and my wife are fucking stressing out about money, but that's besides the point. That's besides the point. She sends my wife a text saying that bills were getting to be a little too much. And that's where I'm like, what the fuck? Because you're not you're, like, you won't be able to find an apartment or a place to live tre- cheaper than that. You know, right. we're asking like $450 max total. Total. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, I think our my electric bill in the summer comes close to that. That's <laughs> just the yeah. electric bill. My my electric bill is fucking three hundred dollars. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and then just fucking like, what, what, where the fuck is your money going? If that's too much for you, and then she says that on Monday, and Tuesday, I'm starting to like, all right, when's she gonna come get her shit? And then she texts me, she texts Vic and tells her to be later at the end of the week. And I'm getting pretty antsy because if she's not going to pay rent, I don't want her shit sitting in my house, you know? Yep. So I'm like, okay, later in the week is here. It's Friday. It's Friday. Where are you at? Where are you at? It's Friday. No rent. Oh, no bleep. And Saturday comes. No rent. I'll bleep it out. <laughs> and then today comes and she texts Vic when she's on the way no warning no nothing saying I'll be there in 30 minutes and me and Vic just woke up we're like oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck we got clean 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 because we don't know who she's bringing with her right <laughs> so we fucking clean sweep up do the dishes you know all that shit and she comes in here and she's all cheery like she's like she's happy to see me I'm not happy to see her so she's like, hey. I'm like, hey. <laughs> Just fucking walk away. <laughs> because I'm liable to commit murder at this point. Well, I, 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 not done. <laughs> <laughs> she takes about three hours to get what she can. And she comes to me and she's like, hey, it looks like it's about the rain, which it was. I think I'm going to stop for today. I'm going to come back later to get the rest of it. I'm like, and I'm not unreasonable. In fact, I think I'm way too reasonable. So I say, okay. And she leaves. And I don't look outside. I'm just like, all right, see ya. And I sit down and I'm playing with my kid. Well, my wife was at the grocery store at that time. And she came back about an hour later after that. And I meet her on the front porch. And when I go outside, I see two trash bags sitting on the front porch. This bitch left her trash on my front porch like we're supposed to do something with it hell no you don't live here anymore take your own shit and do something with it and that set me off i'm like i'm gonna look in the room and see what kind of shape this is in so i look in a room and this fucking filthy man is fucking disgusting there's a fan on the floor but i shit you not two inches of dust caked on the back of it <laughs> it's like what the fuck you just come here trash our house don't pay rent eat our shit and then dip whenever it's convenient for you to do so man fuck that shit man not when it's convenient when she actually had to pay rent yeah 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 when she realized her free ride was over it was done the the part the part that you're leaving out and this has been a week's long ordeal and i've been on the receiving end of many text (laughs) messages related to it but the part that you're that you're leaving out is how bad you felt for her when you were talking about kicking her out 
like you you got mad later but at the time you're like i just i feel so bad because i don't want anybody to be out on the street or without a place to live and i'm just like dude dalton you like she's running all over you right now i mean you've come a long way emotionally since then you know but it's like the five stages right it really yeah like it was so and there's anger because the other thing you didn't say is that you almost got kicked out of your place because you were short rent because you were expecting her share of it and didn't have that ready to go and that you yeah. have an insane uh you know property managing company that will kick your ass out if you're late on, on the 15th they yep. are notorious for rent by the 15th or eviction notice on your door yep and I, guess what fucking i don't have that kind of money because i was expecting her to have that part of that money yeah so luckily i've never been late for rent so i called my landlord and they're like okay you know you've always been paid on time so we're going to give you a little grace period which, which i'm thankful for that don't think I'm simping over landlords, but I'm just kind of no. thankful they they didn't treat me like they treat everybody else. <laughs> right, right. Well, and then you know, you also got to think from a financial point of view. I mean, how many how many how many evictions are they having to run through right now because of COVID? Yeah, you know, sure. like, it's like if you got one that's paid every month until now, you, you'd you'd be dumb to let them you know let them go over that. Right. Yeah, man, it's just fucking it's ridiculous, and I've worked. The past two weeks, I've worked 10 to 12 hours every day. Mostly every night. <laughs> yeah. But, dude, I went from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. I've went from 12 p.m. to 12 a.m. I've went from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And I've worked 4 p.m. to 12 a.m. And like, why, is I that? Have, why is that? Why are you picking up all these shifts again? Because uh, a fifth of my warehouse has COVID. <laughs> and, well, I'm picking them up because I need the money. <laughs> but right. the shifts are available because half of my warehouse is COVID. Yep. Not, not half, a fifth. A fifth. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. You said it's it's wild down there right now, too. Oh, yeah. It's fucking insane. And it's, it's so funny because it's not funny. It's sad, but it's kind of funny that all these people, whenever they come back to work after they have their two weeks off to deal with COVID, every single one of them said, man, I really want to get the vaccine now, but I got to wait 90 days. I'm like, you bitch ass when I got the vaccine in the first place, then you want to get sick. <laughs> uh, well, if there's any sort of silver lining to a bunch of people not, you know, to, to getting sick, I mean, as long as they make it through, that's it, I guess. But it seems like that's a little too late. <laughs> yeah. I hear so many stories of people like on their deathbeds asking for the vaccine and the nurses tell them it's too late. Like you should, this should have been done months ago. Yep. Yep. <laughs> my, 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 what I was going to bring on today was so much more trivial than that. Like, you have like real life drama. Mine is just drama from a movie that I rewatched for the first time in a long time. And I was, I was actually more impressed with the movie than I thought I would be. But that's so frivolous and dumb compared to your <laughs> real life struggles. <laughs> oh, no. It, I mean, it's fine. And, you know, it's, I don't know, it's whatever. It's just, it's so stressful because I've already bought a plane ticket to go to Cleveland, which, you know, now I've got all this to do with. I've already bought a plane ticket that's not refundable, so I'm fucking going. I already spent the money. And I've, now I've got the shit at home to do with. Like, okay, I got to pay this, 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 and this. And I have this much money to do so. Oh, wait. Oh, fuck. I got to find a place. Okay. God, fuck. Oh, just, uh, uh. <laughs> it's real life, brother. This is, this is it. This is the, this is the hustle. Then also, I fl- my, my wife goes back and she's going to be out of a job for the next one to two weeks. I fly out on my birthday and we're going to celebrate my birthday the day before I leave. Like me and her are. 
and this is like fuck man there's so like so much going on right now that we have to pay money for and there's of which i don't give a shit if i get a birthday present i'm fucking 28 you know, you know? <laughs> i don't care if i get a birthday present but to her it's a big deal right right so I don't know, man. Money, 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 money. It's, man, it's our, our whole podcast is about that. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, we may, we are on the wrong end of this shit, brother. We need I to. Know. <laughs> I know. The more of this stuff I read, the more I'm like, what am I doing? Like, why am I? Why? Especially today's. Today's is going to be. Today's is a little bit more recent, uh, and it's just like, why, why, why am I not doing this? Like, I think I could pull this off. <laughs> If I didn't have, you know, morals and values <laughs> and, you know, if I was just this craven fucking money collector. But, um, yeah. Before, well, before we get into it, t- you know, tell me about your week. I want to know the movie that you rewatched. I want to know. Okay, so I talk about the movie because, you know, I'm much more boring than you. I don't have all these, you know, internal <laughs> struggles. Brother, I'd love to be boring right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, you have like a – everybody has like a handful of comfort movies, right? That you kind of throw on. Just you can have them on in the background. You don't necessarily need to watch them. You just have them on. Most of the time, they're probably things that you watched when you were younger. And you come back and you watch it again, right? Like, do you I, have any of those? Uh, Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. It's my comfort movie. Oh my god, that is so on brand. <laughs> <laughs> the white trash heartthrob <laughs> in Talladega Nights. If you don't chew Big Red, then fuck you. <laughs> god, I should have guessed that. I really feel bad that I didn't. <laughs> hey kids, what to do today? We threw Grandpa Chip's war medals off a bridge. <laughs> All right. Well, that's not my comfort movie. I just like, you know. <laughs> no. So one of the movies that I've seen, I think hundreds of times, it feels like, because it was always on TV, probably still is. I just don't have live TV anymore, uh, is the movie The Fugitive. Have you seen it? Nope. No? Really? Nope. Oh, you got to check it out. It's, it's, it's with Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford. It's from the like early 90s. And, I, you know, I, so I watch movies, a lot of times when I watch movies, especially like movies about cops they're really like they're really celebratory about how great the police are and how you know the police are usually the heroes in the movies and all this one and i kind of expected that because i haven't seen this movie in a long time i kind of expected that from the fugitive because it's harrison ford and he's running from the cops and so i was like oh god you know the cop but i was like i was so surprised it is the the a portrayal of the police is the absolute most incompetent bunch of people <laughs> unable to catch one guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got like two really lazy cops that, that wrongly uh, accuse the, the main character, Harrison Ford of killing his wife. And then he gets sentenced because it's a bullshit justice system. And then he, in a freak accident, he escapes and he, you know, and then they, they go looking for him and they can't find him. And he just, he managed to elude him. And I'd say, it really is. It's really funny because it's like a big team of cops looking for one guy and they can't find him. Um, but I also was like, you know, this is very atypical of a of a cop related movie because usually, you know, the cops are the, the heroes and whatever. Uh, right. The only thing that was unbelievable about the movie was that a middle aged wealthy white man was convicted of a crime, which was Harrison <laughs> Ford plays a doctor. <laughs> Not happening in real life. Buddy. Yeah, I was like, that's the one. There you go. You lost me there. Um, I'm trying to look up. Um, this actually was also ties into wrestling. Really? 
Yeah, so the the movie was loosely based upon a, a doctor named Sam Shepard. I believe he was a dentist, not um, not a surgeon like like there was in the role. But he was convicted of killing his wife, went to jail, got out. He was in his only in his forties, I think, when he got out, and decided. Well, I don't know if he decided to. I think all other options were closed to him, so he got into pro wrestling. <laughs> Oh well, well, because well, well. He, he had so much <laughs> notoriety. Like he was this n- this notorious figure that people were like, "Oh yeah, well, this is the guy who killed his wife," and now he's out there. He's gonna kill that dude in the middle of the ring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so good. <laughs> it's, it's so, so good. good, right? <laughs> oh. Oh. Um, yeah, so he was, you know, I mean, this is back in the, this is back in the seventies. He like killed his wife in the fifties, allegedly. And there's a lot of reason to think that it didn't happen. I actually think it might've been overturned. Um, I should have read more about this before I started talking about it, but honestly, I didn't expect to talk about <laughs> I'm it. I'm getting flashbacks to Woodstock 99. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. That also known as the lost episode, potentially. Um, so he invented a move that you are very familiar with. Oh, what did he, he do? his finishing move was the mandible claw? Oh shit! Okay, <laughs> so he's like Mick Foley. Look, I mean, yeah. obviously looked up to him. So he, since he was a doctor, his move would make sense to be something around the mouth, right? And right. so he invented this mandible claw submission move, and like you know, cut to thirty Which is the years later. Move in history, by the it's way, not it's a good so move. Dumb. <laughs> thirty years later, the Mick Foley, the pro wrestler, uses it as his finishing move. But it was because of Sam Shepard, the guy who inspired the Fugitive. Huh. Well, well, well. Yeah. The more you know. See, there's my tie into wrestling. Yeah, I didn't have one this week. <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly, I got you. I got you. Don't worry about it. Oh man, um, I also love another cop movie where the cops look like just a bumbling idiots. You call the other guys, and it has uh, Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell in it. And also, it's kind of like co-starring The Rock and Samuel Samuel uh, Jackson. Okay. But, like, they are gone by, like, the first half of the movie. So, like, it's just, like, these two cops that just kind of, like, fucking stumble into everything that they're solving. And, like, they don't, they don't actually, like, plan this out and, like, solve the case. They just kind of, like, stumble into everything. <laughs> and they're just like two idiots that are paired together and it's great movie have you ever seen it no as much as you don't like mark Wahlberg, i like him even less so i just avoid him i like his acting but i don't like him as a person i like i like exactly two movies that he's ever been in i liked uh boogie nights okay and i liked three kings oh you didn't like the departed Oh shit! Yeah, I like three movies. The Depart. I really like The Departed. I I'm not for- a fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, I always try to like. I gloss out that he's in that because there's so many other good actors that just right. Yeah, that movie's like, like star Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, The Departed. Those three. Those. That's the three. Okay. All right. So, what are we covering this week? You don't know, do you? I know you told me to look up some boy bands. Okay. Well, so I think this is going to be a two-parter. Because there's a lot. And this guy's got like two big acts in his career. Um, but today we're going to start to talk about what? Come closer? No, it's hot. Oh. Keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> 
is an audio podcast. You can't see all the shenanigans that, and hand gestures and frantic waving that Colby <laughs> yeah. does while we're recording. Hand gesture. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna we're here to talk about Lou Pearlman. Does that ring a bell at all? That name? Not the slightest clue of what all you're right. talking about. All right. Well, we're gonna get into we're gonna get into it because. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot to this guy. And I think it's gonna be. I hope it's gonna be fun. Now, the kind of the approach I took. This guy, there's a lot going on with this dude. This is not like a simple grift where it's just like he's got one thing. He's, you know, he's not out there just selling miracles. You know, spring water. He's got so much stuff going on, and it's just like chaos all around him at all times. And so I try to, I try to simplify this as much as I could, just for the sake of like a really solid narrative and not getting too lost in the weeds about all of his weird business dealings that he's been going on. So some of I've left a little, some of the details out, but I don't think they're necessarily that important that you need to. And if you really want to, I can recommend a couple of books that you go read that has everything, you know, in between the covers. Gotcha. Um, so Lewis J. Perlman or big Papa, as he would later want to be called call me big Papa. <laughs> that was, like, I wish I had a soundboard that way I could just beat you to them. <laughs> <laughs> like here, here's when I know Dalton's gonna pop. Boom, got it. <laughs> Eventually, I'll we'll just do the podcast without me and just have right. my greatest hits lined up. Right there. It was just like, where's that noise? Okay, there it is. <laughs> Take a hit off the vape. <laughs> um, he wanted to be called Big Papa. He was born on June 19th, 1954, in Queens, New York. So, not too far from here. Um, but before he was, I am fucking walking here. (laughs) And they were way out in Queens. They were like Queens, Queens. Um, but before he was big Papa, he was called fat Louie to everyone in his Queens neighborhood because kids fucking suck and they have always sucked and they always say the most obvious thing. That would sound like an endearing nickname. Yeah. Hey, fat Louie. (laughs) There's a, there's another Dalton at my work and they've gave me the name big D because I'm the fatter of the two. You're not fat. Who is this other guy? Uh, his name is... No, I'm not going to dox him. What am I doing? His name but, is Dalton. Yeah, his name is... I, I was going to say his last name, but oh. I was like, oh, wait. Ugh. But he weighs like 150 pounds. And like he's like a string bean motherfucker. And I'm Big D. He's Little D. He doesn't like his nickname. I bet he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> so Fat Louie. Now we're going to call... We're just going to call him Lou going out because that's what he preferred to be called. Um, his dad uh, is named High Perlman. Um, I'm, I'm assuming it's short for Hiram, but he just went by High. Had a dry cleaning business, and his mom worked at the school cafeteria. Um, his mother doted on him, and although they didn't have a lot, she was she was she would find a way to spoil him, and most of the time that came in the form of food, which probably lends a lot to the Fat Louie thing. Right. Um, you know, he, it actually was kind of weird. He was, when he was born, he was given the only bedroom in the apartment. So he took the, it was a one bedroom apartment. He took the bedroom and his parents oh, no. put their bed in the living room because I'll this, be damned. <laughs> this, yeah. This kid was spoiled, spoiled right off the bat. Um, by all accounts, his dad was a hell of a salesman and Lou would sometimes accompany him on deliveries where high would teach him all the tricks that he had, that made him successful. Basically, he was saying, he said, um, you should always listen more than you talk. 
you know, and he got it, and he was he would tell Lou things about how he caters to each of his clients. He knows how they like their their shirts pressed and whether they want starch or no starch. And he's like, and I just remember each individual client, and it makes them happy, and that's that's why my business is successful. So there's a lot there. Yeah, well, there's a lot, and it's I think it sets up the stage as we'll see for later on. You know, which is why Lou becomes such a good salesperson right and he really will um there's a lot he of remembers reasons. the little things about you and that yep. makes you want to do business with them yep and i've actually heard that um someone else that has a brain that sort of works that way is actually dwayne johnson dwayne the rock johnson that he can meet somebody and then not have seen them for years and then we meet them again he immediately remembers who they are what they told him he asks about you know whatever situation they you know, like whatever story they had told him last time, and it just like blows people's brains. They're just like, wow, I can't believe he remembers all that. But he has just this incredible memory of people. That goes to like show why he's so successful, though. So, I mean, it's not just like you got to have more than acting chops, yep. you know, to be like as successful as he is. I think it's like he's what the highest grossing movie star of all time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, yeah. At least in the last 20 years, I'd imagine. I think because honestly, like wrestling is like the second thing I think about him as now. Like yeah. he's just like he's an actor. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. You know, it's it's funny. There's there's a lot of really successful people that have interesting um, habits that they do. Uh, I had a guy I worked with was in uh, Tito Puente's band. He's a famous musician, famous drummer, and he used to say that when he ever Tito would walk into a room, he would go around and he would shake him everybody's hand and introduce himself to every single person in the room. And, uh, you know, Tito said one day that he, I don't know if he picked it up from Bill Clinton or Bill Clinton picked it up from Tito. Something happened where it turns out Bill Clinton did the same thing. Like he walks into a room and he just introduces himself. He doesn't have to because he's famous. Right. But to make everybody feel like the feel at ease in the room, it really breaks a lot of the tension if someone comes in and just says, hey, to everybody and shakes everybody's hand. Right. He's like, regardless of how many people are in the room, you know, he, like he would be late for another meeting just because he wanted to talk to everybody that was in the room, which I thought was kind of cool. Well, that's really sweet. Yeah. I mean, Bill Clinton's fucking evil, but... Uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah I'm going to talk about The Rock. Nice. <laughs> or uh, the drummer. Or Tito, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't mean to drag him in there. Um, <laughs> so in addition to like t- teaching him all about these sales tactics and, and kind of like just basic customer service stuff, he would also show Lou the very best restaurants on every route that he took. So he would take Lou out eating. And so like, there's this, this theme and I'm not fat shaming the guy cause I'm a big fat guy too. So I don't want to, you know, like that's not my intention. Oh, listen, I'm technically obese. Okay. You don't got to tell me nothing. Shut up Dalton. <laughs> <laughs> but he is food. This like the con- consumption of food becomes such like a ritual with him. It's such a, like a thing in his life. I mean, he's, this is one of the few guys that we've got that never becomes an alcoholic, never touches drugs. Like he just, he loves food. That's his thing. That's that's what he, that's what he likes to eat. Um, Lou was a kind of a weird kid. Uh, he really only had one friend, one good friend growing up. And it was another kid, the only other kid that lived in Lou's building. His name was Al Gross. And he was a few years older than How Lou. How unfortunate. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Fat so, Louie and Al Gross. Fat Louie and Al Gross. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even put those two together until now. Uh, until you pointed it out. <laughs> so, yeah, Al's a few years older than Lou. He kind of looks out for him. He's kind of like the guy that's guiding him through. And he has a ton of influence uh, in Lou's life, especially in the first part, uh, half of Lou's life. Um, the other person that has a huge, huge influence and I'm like coin toss. If you actually get to know who this is, was uh, Lou's first cousin, Art Garfunkel. 
the name sounds familiar. It's yeah, so like uh, sounds like a musician. Yes, that you're 100 percent right on that. Simon and Garfunkel. Yes, you got it. Yeah! <laughs> I was like, I don't know if he's gonna know who this is. I don't know if you're gonna, yeah, if you have any idea who this is. But nailed it. Bullseye. You nailed it. Good job. You, but I, I bet I couldn't ask you to name a song. Oh hell no! I just know a bunch of people I listen to are inspired by Simon and Garfunkel. You've heard the song Mrs. Robinson? No. Really? I know the song Miss Jackson. No, that's not the. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, how, how did we become friends? How did this happen? <laughs> what do we talk about? Oh yeah, wrestling and criminals. <laughs> Which the Venn diagram for that is very close because there's a lot of criminals in wrestling. <laughs> anyway. Um, as a kid, Lou is like a natural entrepreneur. He had a lemonade stand when he was nine and he like set it up on the bus stop. He was smart enough to realize how to make the most money out of, you know, something like a lemonade stand. Later on, he'd have like a, he, he allegedly purchased a paper route from another kid. Like he's like, Hey, I'll give you a percentage of what I bring in, you know, if you give me the route. And so he's like wheeling and dealing. He's apparently set up in his home, his apartment, which he didn't leave very often. He'd said like, he'd, been inventing all these schemes and businesses and all kinds of different creations. Like he wanted to be an entrepreneur of some sort from a very early age, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. This is always the part that endears me to these people. It's like seeing their work ethic at an early age. I'm like, man, I like that. I think we're going to end this episode and you're going to really like this guy. And then we're going to walk into the next episode and you're going to fucking hate this guy. Oh man. (laughs) The bait and switch. I'm telling you now I'm not baiting and switching anything. I just told you what I was going to do. Yeah, but that's like telling me like the spoilers to a movie. I'm not going to forget in five minutes anyway. You know, oh, that's you know true. That. I'm probably going to forget this episode as soon as we're done recording. <laughs> Good luck catching me up next week. <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my burden to bear. Um, <laughs> so in 1964, his entire life changes. He it was for the first time he saw the Goodyear blimp outside of his apartment window. And it oh, was wow. it was at uh, an airport that's not there anymore, the Flushing Airport in Queens, and the blimp was docked there, and it was going to make its way to the New York State or the New York World's Fair, and so it was a big deal, huge Goodyear blimp. Have you ever seen the, the, the a, a blimp or uh, the Goodyear blimp? Yeah, yeah I've person? seen the Goodyear blimp like during football games. Yeah, during football games and stuff. They're impressive when you see them live too. I don't remember where I was, but I was a kid and I saw one, and I was like, wow! Like it's really easy to see why why a kid would be obsessed with that kind of thing after seeing it but he was obsessed um lou's friend alan was actually the they call them the helium heads which are like balloon people there's like this whole subculture of of people that are really into balloons yep they call them also balloonatics is another word (laughs) i love that So it sounds like a bad tag team. Uh, the Balloonatics. It sounds like a, like a clown tag team that makes those balloon animals. <laughs> Damn it, this is such good shit. <laughs> so there's a lot that, like, a lot of Lou's story is kind of invented. Um, it actually was Alan that was the big uh, balloon fan, and he kind of influenced Lou to like him. And it was Alan who saw the Goodyear blimp out of his out of his apartment. That Lou's apartment faced the opposite direction, so there's no way gotcha. he could have used it. So he sort of Lou co-opted a lot of Alan's stories early on, but it doesn't mean that he was 
any less enthusiastic about it. Right. So the two boys um, would visit the airport as often as they could. This is pre 9 11, so there wasn't security, so you could actually go and watch these guys working and, and you know, maintaining the blimp that was sitting there. Um, so, and, like, before 9 11, you could just, like, walk up the terminals? Yeah, you could go in the, people could go into the terminal. They could bring you to the gate. You wow, just couldn't get on the plane. Whoa, that's so crazy, man. I like that's a whole other world for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you could I mean, depending on when it is, you could even get on the the runways, you know, like you could get access to the runway. You wow. Be careful. But yeah. I mean, there were like there were fences sometimes. Depends on where it is. In the city, there were right. probably fences because it's just it's crazy here. So they yeah, they're at the airport and they're watching people work on the mechanics work on the balloons. Um and Lou would tell a story about how he managed to get a ride on the Goodyear blimp by pretending or by doing writing an article for it for his school. Like they said, journalists are the only ones that can go up. And so Lou came back the next week and he said, hey, I'm, I write for my school paper. Will you let me up? And they gave him a ride. Smart. Turns out that that might have been Alan, too. Oh, <laughs> Not <fuck> Lou. <laughs> <laughs> but Lou is like a little tag along. Apparently, like. Lou would stare at the mechanics and it made him really uncomfortable. And Alan had to tell him like, stop being weird and you know, talk to them <laughs> or they're not going to let you hang out here anymore. They're not going to want you around because you're a weird kid. And that seems to, for whatever reason, that seems to have really brought Lou out of his shell. Like he was right. before that point, he was a really quiet, weird kid. And then he started to get a little bit more talkative. Right. Um, Can regardless, just match Al, like, oi, those are my stories. <laughs> yeah, he, does. <laughs> he does. And like, apparently even to, well, it, I, the last correspondence I read from Al was in 2007. And even then, I mean, he wasn't in great health, but he still lived in the same apartment that he inherited in Queens and around, around the apartment are like model airplanes and balloons. Like this Alan was in this thing for life. Um, this was, this was his thing. Um, but anyway, Lou hung around long enough that he actually eventually got a job with Goodyear as a gopher. Um, what does that mean? So it's a slang term as someone who just like, the term is he goes for this, he goes for that. He goes, just runs errand like an errand boy, basically. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. yeah I, we have a less, uh, okay term for that. <laughs> I'm sure that's, that's pretty typical of down South. There's yeah. a less okay term for a lot of things. <laughs> um, so yeah, he was a, he was a gopher. And he got to meet a lot of people that worked at Goodyear. He spent time around the blimp. He did ride the blimp several times. Like, he got to go up in it, and it was, like, the thrill of this kid's life. Um, eventually, he wa was enrolled in Queens College, and he studied accounting. And this is really important to keep in mind because me, as this dumb art school dropout, is trying to explain what a very clever accounting major is trying to pull on the financial side of things. This guy right. structured these companies. Then just this such a wild way that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, it makes sense to me, but I'm like, geez, like what, like what, why? Anyway, that's been my biggest struggle with this story is just trying to <laughs> like untangle everything that this guy got involved in. Listen, I mean, you're the brains of this operation. I don't know why you keep saying you're dumb. <laughs> no, I just know when I'm up against something that I'm like, ooh, this is, I'm going to slow down a little bit and figure this out and get smart on it. Because <laughs> that doesn't come to me naturally, the, the financial stuff. Um, anyway, uh, he graduates and decides to start his own helicopter taxi service in New York City based on a plan that he wrote while he was in school. So he wrote this this 
was a project for one of his classes and his his teacher said that's a really good idea you should try to do that and he said okay let's, let's do it yeah, but where did he get the capital to like buy helicopters and do all that kind of stuff we're getting to that oh, um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey how about you just jump to the end of the story okay <laughs> no, Dal- the end dalton we'll see you next week on <laughs> if you catch my grift because <laughs> i'm hot too um yeah so he you know this is also just you know a, a, a taxi a, a helicopter taxi sounds kind of audacious and crazy right two things this is new york city and there are helicopters everywhere i mean which is in there like helicopters on tour for 100 bucks you can take a helicopter from downtown manhattan to jfk just like like a fucking rock star and Ugh. this is the late 70s when all this is happening which is about to ramp into like peak wall street greed is good era i mean like the when right. just ev- this is like the era that launched all of the ridiculous millionaire wall street bros you know that are old ass men now but so there's a market for it but now lou has to figure out where to get two helicopters um, because you needed one that you used regularly and then you had to have a backup just in case something happened in that one so that was his whole plan he's like i gotta get two so the first person he goes to is his cousin art garfunkel and Art gives, sends him to his manager. He's like, I don't deal with the finances. Go talk to my manager. His manager says, you know what? We won't buy your first one, but we'll buy you the second one. If, you, you know, if you're successful with the first one, we'll buy you a second one, which okay. is a smart, it's kind of a shitty thing to say. It's like, well, thanks. yeah, they're covering their ass at the same right. time. Though. It's something they do in Hollywood where like first time screenwriters, when they go out and they go, hey, this is really good. I would love to see what you write next. <laughs> you know, like mm. we're not going to take a chance on you yet. Somebody else could take that, that first chance, but we'll come back when it's a little safer of a bet. Okay. I mean, so, it's nice, but fair at the same time. It's it's nice, but it's also a little like backhanded. It's like, if you really yeah. had confidence in somebody, you'd back them. But I mean, he's a kid out of, out of college. I, I get it. And I, I don't, they don't, you know, do that. I don't so, blame him for that one. No, 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 no. So instead of just taking the L and, and giving up on it, he like doubles down. He starts looking for investors. He goes and starts to hit up banks and, and trying to get people to, you know, to give him the money to buy two helicopters, which is not cheap. And, you know, he's got no track record. Um, he wasn't really getting anywhere until he was overheard while he was making one of his pitches by an executive from a firm called EF Hutton, which is a stock brokerage firm. So the executive overheard him and said, hey, I think this is actually a really good idea. I think this kid's onto something. And so, you know, he starts talking to Lou. He says, you know, hey, really quick, tell me what you're all about. And Lou just goes, blah, 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 you know, just gives him the whole plan really fast as <laughs> he can. This is that scene Listen, in the man, movie. I got these helicopters, man. I don't take yeah. helicopters from here to here. <laughs> <laughs> and so the guy ended up getting together a group of angel investors. And what they did was they actually purchased two elevator or two elevators, two helicopters. <laughs> I was thinking elevator pitch two helicopters and then they lease those helicopters to lou at good rate so then he used those as his taxi service okay so he's doing it um he yeah the first it, it he definitely bit off more than he could chew right off the bat because right. the to maintain two helicopters ended up costing him a lot more money than he thought it would. Well, this, um, this is a small thing you don't think about, right? Not right. only do you need two helicopters, you also need two pilots that can, or one pilot that can pilot helicopters. You need a team of mechanics that can work on the helicopters. You need parts to go on the helicopters whenever they start fuel. to break down. 
yeah, you need fuel. And it's just a whole lot of shit that you don't think about when yep. you go into like business situations. And I think it's pretty, I think it's, he definitely did not think about what he was getting into fully when he, right. when he started this business. So um, he bragged that he made his first million dollars by the time he was 21. It's kind of bullshit. He was probably hemorrhaging money at that point. Right. It's not and liquid. He, yeah, he's not at all. Um, and so the saving grace came where his company would eventually merge with another helicopter company. Um, he didn't make any money out of the deal. But when he merged with this larger helicopter taxi company, he made a ton of contacts in the aviation community, right. in the aviation field, which is big. You know, so now he had contacts at airports and now he had contacts with other, you know, with other charter airlines and, and other charter airplanes. He had all these, you know, I mean, that's actually probably worth more than money at his early stage of his career that he can now, you know, pick up the phone and call people who know him and, and get help and set up new new types of businesses. So right, there's no LinkedIn at this time. So networking no. through like that way is the best chance you got yep. of being successful. And this was probably the last of his legitimate businesses. <laughs> <laughs> but he decides to move away from helicopters and move towards chartering planes is his next move. Ooh, big part of that. Adam. Big, yeah, big part of that is that planes are a lot easier to maintain apparently than helicopters. I would not have figured that to be the case. I would not have either. So I'm just trusting what I read. <laughs> <laughs> so he started approaching investors for this new venture, but now he had some experience under his belt. This time, though, he wasn't just targeting venture capitalists, but he was starting to let his friends and family in on the action. Okay. Which is going to be a big part of kind of what he does in the future. Um, you know, they were investing with someone that they thought had bought and sold a fleet of helicopters, someone who drove around Queens in a Lincoln Continental. Surely this guy knows what he's doing. So why wouldn't you invest with him? Besides, it's Fat Louie. We've known him since he was a kid. I mean, that kind of seems to be the story where it's like he's getting all this money from friends and family and right. saying, hey, you know, look at me. I'm a big shot. And he really definitely tried to play that part of like. Hey, I'm a big player, even though he didn't actually technically own either of his helicopters, let right. alone a fleet, and he didn't make any money. <laughs> so he's, you know, it's all just a show with him. And this is going to be the theme that you see smoke over and mirrors, and right? Over it's, and over again. It's all about smoke and mirrors. It's all well, about the, the image. It's like the same as these uh, uh, evangelical preachers. You know, it's all smoke and mirrors, but Fat Louie—don't you call him Fat Louie? Lou. Louis, uh, Lou's smoke and mirrors is just like in a different way. Yep. I put that very poorly. I'm no, no, no. I know what you mean, though. It is. It's, it's, <laughs> it, but he, you know, it, Lou, Lou is really image conscious. You know, I mean, that's that's his big thing. Right. He's got to look like a success, and if he looks successful, then he'll be successful. It's a little bit like of like the the secret you know it's like you manifest positive things happening it's all kind of interrelated you know in this way that you're like wow if i think positive things are going to happen they're going to happen and he's like if i look successful people will think i am and they'll give me their money right okay that makes so, sense and and so the whole thing with this is that these investors they're putting their money behind him because they think that they're investing in this company that's going to have a bunch of planes and the name of the company that he puts together is transcontinental airlines right so you think oh it's called an airline it's gonna have right. planes spoiler in the history of this company he doesn't ever purchase a single plane to use <laughs> in his business what does he do with their money so he 
basically the way he structures this new company, unbeknownst to anybody else, is that he is he's able to get good lease rates on planes. So he leases a plane from the planes owner, and then he recharters that out to other people, you know, for other reasons. So he's getting he's making money, but it's a really slim margin because it's, he's right. like basically filling in the margin between what he leases and what he leases at you know what he leases from and what he leases at so he is making money now but it's not much it's not nearly what he you know his well what his investors think he's gonna make it's not exactly like what he his lifestyle suggests so they're investing all this money and it's not really going anywhere other than the loo right you know, so how does this work? Like he leases the he leases the plane from a plane's owner, mm-hmm. and then he releases it to other people. Yep, yep. That feels he's, illegal. I I don't know. I mean, he yeah, he, it's not called leasing; it's chartering. You know, he charters the plane. Can I charter my house? I lease my house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't. I mean, it, you know, based around this, it might not be. It might might not be exactly legal, but. <laughs> he was doing it and he was making money and that seems to be the honestly that that right there is probably the least atrocious thing that he's done in terms oh, wow. of legality so this is minor i actually even glossed over that because i was like this is nothing compared to what all happens next <laughs> buckle up buckaroo yep um so you know he would have obviously been able to make a lot more money if he'd owned the planes but he didn't have the capital to buy it and everything that he was that that he was raising was i, I mean from everything it sounds like was going straight into his pocket. Yeah, it was going to, towards his lifestyle. He's trying to keep oh, up. Oh, big time. Um, so now this plane chartering service is sort of on on autopilot, no pun intended, but like it's it's kind of doing its own thing. It's taking care of itself. He doesn't have to be as involved with it. I mean, like once it gets up and running. Um, so he now at this point, he's got the plane chartering business and now he is going for the blimps. He wants his blimp. He's always wanted a blimp. <laughs> this, he's still holding on to this blimp. Yes. <laughs> Fat Louie is a blimp. Listen, man, these planes, these planes are okay, man, but I gotta, ha- I gotta get this blimp. Gotta Fat Louie, the blimp boy. <laughs> oh, man. Blimpy. Uh, he yes. loves blimpy. He loves oh, blimpy. Oh, man, that's fat shamey. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so the biggest airship, they don't call them blimps, they call them airships, airship maker in the world was a former World War II fighter pilot, and his name was Theodore Woolen, I'm sorry, Theodore Woolenkemper. Okay. And that might be Woolenkemper, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. It probably is. Um, it's what time frame are we talking here? This is in the late 70s. Okay, so not, uh, Germans are okay in the late 70s. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This this was nineteen thirty. We'd be we'd be having a whole different conversation. Different. No, I said this is a more <laughs> modern story. This is gonna come We're up done. into the two thousands. Um so you'd eventually learn that Vulan Kumper was going to be in the United States for his fiftieth birthday party. So Lou sprung into action and he made this giant birthday card that he had hand delivered to Vulan Kemper. So it's like apparently like three foot by three foot <laughs> birthday card. <laughs> and inside of it was an invitation for him to join, for Vulan Kemper to join Lou for dinner, which is like really shoot your shot, fucking bold. You don't know this guy. This guy's like an industry tycoon and he's over here for his birthday. And Lou's like, maybe I can get dinner with him as an introduction. Listen, man. I got the perfect birthday present for this guy, right? I'm going to invite him to take time out of his day to eat dinner with me for mm-hmm. his birthday. 
Yeah, and you know what? That's, that's, that's like the, the most backhanded birthday present I could think of. Like, hey. It's, it's also ballsy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess. I guess I'm looking at it from the wrong point of view. Well, you know why? Because it worked. And Vullen Kemper said, yes, I will have dinner with you. Oh, okay. So they have dinner. Um, they don't go to a fancy restaurant. Lou instead opts to have him come over to the apartment with his parents and have dinner there with his parents. I would appreciate that more, to be yeah, honest. I know. I know. The only problem is, is that um, Kemper was fighting for the Nazis and the Perlman oh, family always comes is back Jewish. to the Nazis. <laughs> it always comes back. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, it had a big effect on a lot of people for a long period of time, right? And you're talking about a family of, of Jews in Queens, you know, like that's not hard to find in Queens. And so, right. Now you've got this ex-Nazi and it was tense, apparently at first. It was very tense between um, Lou's dad and Vullenkamper. And Vullenkamper finally said, listen, I, I know I can I can read the room. I don't think he said this exactly, but I can read the room. I understand that you have some some hostility and some you know, some hesitance to have me in your house and eat with you. He goes, but had I not flown for the Nazis, I would have been killed. Like, um, it wasn't a question. I didn't enlist because I believed in it. I enlisted because they were, they would have killed me if I didn't. And that seemed to have lightened some of the tensions at the dinner table. Um, Nothing nothing lightens tensions more than talking about your possible murder at the hand of the Nazis. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) that, that did the trick. Um, yeah. Which, I mean, I think he was probably, probably telling the truth, too. Huh? He's probably telling the truth, too, though. Yeah, he probably know? was. I didn't. I don't think he would lie about that. Right. Um, but this was just kind of the kickoff of Wollenkamper and um, and Lou's relationship. Like, they, Wollenkamper was really impressed by Lou. And he, and he just said, you know, this kid, this kid's got something or just, you know, he's got this drive. So I think that's that's true of everybody. Like, Lou was able to fool a lot of people because of who, who he was and his personality. And he really brought people, sucked people in with that. Man, I really, I'm really liking Lou, man. Yeah. I could just see a villain kept the fucking balls on this kid. <laughs> well, it's, it's, he's, he's easy to like at this point. So he... Um, he, he like I said, he was impressed. And in 1979, he invited Lou to come to Japan to learn the balloon business. So this okay. is like the biggest balloon guy in the world. Now he's saying, I'm not sure why he was in Japan, but he for he some still, reason he still keeps in contact with his uh, World War II buddies, huh? <laughs> <laughs> did you do some reading between the episode that we did and this episode on World War II? Because you, you're now you're hitting it on the head. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's a teachable moment right there. <laughs> I was like, well, I had so many people come up to me like, oh, you're so fucking dumb. I'm like, oh, fuck, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they're in Japan and uh, Lou ends up spending an entire year over in Japan learning how to maintain and build and, and learning the business side of balloons. All Which right. was good, yeah. It's like that's what you do. You go, you you apprentice somewhere for a little while. You learn the the, the trade, and then you then you go well, out. So far, and he's done own. about a lot of this the right way. 
I feel like. Yeah. He makes yeah. a real big, bold move. It pays off. And now he's going to work under somebody to learn how to do this. So he starts up his own company called Airship Industries, which I think is a really cool name. I think it's a really good band name. I don't know why. I just was like, that could be see it. Airship Industries. Um, so at this point, you know, a blimp is not a practical form of transportation. <laughs> Right. No, it's no. definitely like a hobbyist thing. It's a more for sure type thing. Yeah. Like, oh man, look at that. There's a blimp. And it's a billboard, really. Yeah. It's a giant billboard in the sky. And that's kind of what the industry is, right? Even to this day, that's what it is. You know, sometimes you can do, they were talking about like um, delicate scientific equipment. It sometimes it does better on a blimp than it does on a plane because a plane makes all that noise and it, it rattles and shakes around. And turbulence and all that. And it's turbulent. And so a, bo- a balloon has the advantage of, being silent, you know, and so you could, you can not disturb any of that precise instruments, but this is America for the most part. It's about advertising. Right. Um, so he had all these brochures pulled up, uh, printed up featuring Vollenkemper's balloons, right? Cause Vollenkemper would sell his balloons or he would, you know, he would lease them out. He, he sold them. And so he have these beautiful pictures of these modern state of the art balloons. And he hired a salesperson to go try and find companies that would advertise on his balloons, right? So he's got this guy going out pitching, you know, pitching this product with these beautiful pictures on these nice brochures. And they finally find a customer and they're Jordash, uh, later of Jordash. Did you say Jordash? No, Jordash. (laughs) Okay. Never heard of it. (laughs) Jordash jeans were really big in the eighties for a very small eighties and into like the early nineties. Um, but they are, I don't know if they're around anymore. If they are, they're probably, they're not a not a high end brand anymore. <laughs> I've never heard of it. Yeah, I think it might, it might have missed you by just a little bit. So he finally found Jordash, right? And they come on board as a client. They're really impressed. They're really excited. They want their brand name on a balloon to fly over New York City. The problem is, is that Lou doesn't have enough money to lease or buy a balloon and retrofit it. Oh, oh no. So he's now got a customer who's like, "We're going to advertise on your balloon." He's like, "I don't." Have a <laughs> well, guess what, guys. <laughs> But he You're doesn't never te- gonna believe this. But he doesn't tell him that. He doesn't say any of that. Oh, what? Instead, he goes and buys a logging balloon, and they're very weird. They don't look like a hot air balloon. Like they're clearly a balloon, but they're almost like two small hot air balloons connected at the nose. They make this weird V shape. I had to look it up because I was like, I don't know what this looks like. Okay. So anyway, he bought a logging balloon, and he was going to build his own balloon out of this much cheaper logging balloon. And it does not go well. So they have uh, this gold paint that they were going to use on the balloon as per Jordash's request. They were like, we want, you know, we want gold and we want all these beautiful colors. And they painted it gold. They put it out in the sun and the gold turned brown. I mean, just gross oh. brown because it was out in the sun. This shit brown. Yeah. Yeah. So this balloon is a fucking disaster (laughs) the thing cannot get off the ground barely gets off the ground it was supposed to go up a thousand feet it can't it can't do that it looked like from the observers on the ground they said it looked like a giant floating turd like that's what this (laughs) thing looks oh man i can only imagine how how did it go it it got up a i don't know how high it got up but they said it couldn't it couldn't get up a thousand feet 
and it's a turd. It looks like a piece of poop, and it is only 105 uh, feet long. It was supposed to be 170 feet long, so this is not at all what the Jordash folks... Right, I bet they were thrilled. They were furious. It didn't even make it to New York City. It was still in New Jersey when it crashed and was destroyed. It crashed? In its maiden flight. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, man. So So, how uh, how did Lou handle this one? Lou handled this one by filing a, an insurance claim. And the insurance company said, that's not the balloon we insured. And then they referred to his brochures, which had Vollenkamper's beautiful balloons on there. They right. said, this is what we thought we insured. Not that fucking piece of shit. <laughs> and so this resulted in a prolonged legal battle between the insurance company and Lou's company. And in the end, Lou won. Wow. And he was given $2.5 million in insurance money from the company. Oh. And it was it was a very technical win. Apparently, someone had been smart enough to put the size of the balloon as 105 feet. And that's exactly what the balloon that was insured was, rather than right. the 170 feet that it was supposed to be. I don't know who caught that, who, who did, you know, who was the person that was responsible for this. At this point, Alan Gross and Lou had had kind of a falling out. Um, and so Alan was like, Toddy's stealing my ideas, Lou. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's like, he started his career, like Alan, like Lou gave Alan a job and Alan was working with him and they got, they just had a falling out because Alan had you know, had enough of Lou's shit. And so Alan actually says now that he thinks that Lou crashed that thing on purpose to collect mm, the insurance money. Settlement. There's no proof of that, but that's Alan's, you know, his theory is like Lou did all this. So thing. far it sounds on brand. Yeah. He said, there's nothing that Lou did that wasn't intentional. And so the fact that it was crap, it crashed, you know, Anyway, now Lou has $2.5 million. And so he can actually get one of Olin Kemper's balloons. And he does. Right. And he manages to talk uh, McDonald's into, um, you know, working with them and signing this big deal. And they do. They, uh, they also sign a, a contract with him for another $2.5 million. So he's up $5 million as a company. Nice. And it's it's good. This is a, I mean this company is doing well. I mean it's it's doing it's it's making him quite a bit of money. Um and he he celebrates in the most Lou way possible. He finally moves out of his parents' apartment and buys <laughs> actually he just leases um an apartment in a luxury building in Queens. It was called the Bay Club and it's sort of it was like the fanciest building in all of Queens, which I know is like I don't know. It's 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 something. Um, he, <laughs> well, what is it? I was, I was gonna say it, it was a Jim Cornette line. I wasn't gonna. And I was like, I'm not gonna use that because I have enough wrestling fans that listen to this podcast. Where he says it's like <laughs> being the nicest guy in prison. You know? Okay. <laughs> still, still a piece of shit. But it's a nice piece of shit. Right, right. Um, and he also traded in his Lincoln Continental for a powder blue Rolls Royce Phantom. Mm, and that and became I, like his signature car was the powder blue rolls. You know what? This guy's got good taste. Right. You know, not- <laughs> <laughs> um, so at this point, he's running two companies, right? He's got Transcontinental Airline, Airlines. And I'm just going to want to do this. I know Transcontinental time. Airlines is still a thing. Yeah, it's still going. Like it's okay. chartering, it's, that's the chartering company, right? And it's still going. He's just not as active with that. And he's got um, Airship Industries, which is his other company that he's right. putting a lot more attention on. And they're totally separate. Um, 
Airship Industries is the clean company, which means he actually has assets. He's making money. Everything's above ground, whereas Transcontinental, there's kind of some funny stuff starting to happen. Right. So he decides to take it public, right, and, and, and turn it into a stock so people can buy into it. And, of course, he does this in the most loo way possible and does this with the help of a very shady penny stock operation that has a long mm-hmm. history of fraud. Okay, getting into Wolf Wall Street territory here. Yeah. So nevertheless, it goes public, and he manages to raise $3 million from the IPO. Um, but to to most people, most people that were looking at it, it looked like a pump and dump operation. Are you going to ask me what a pump and dump operation is? Oh, no, I'm trying not to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> pump and dump operation sounds like my ex-girlfriend. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad <laughs> all right so what is a pumping up operation I, 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 I look, I look <laughs> oh, jesus christ <laughs> so it's a scheme that um it attempts to boost the price of stock through recommendations that are basically false so okay. They, they talk up the stock, people buy in, and then the, the shareholders and the people that, sell that are aware sell it quickly and it just crashes in value. So they made their money when it, when it jumped up. And, so it's GameStop. Yeah. It's a big, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, basically. Um, and this is also about the time that he met his most important business partner and investor, a guy named Julian Bencher. Um, and he's a British guy, was also a balloon head comes on boards and really believes in Lou and what he's doing. So, um, yeah, Bencher was a fellow uh, balloonatic who, <laughs> that word every time is going to get you. <laughs> Pump and dump, lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> who would eventually become Lou's largest investor in airship uh, industries. It should be noticed that airship industries was the closest thing to a legitimate business that Lou had. We talked about that. Transcon was essentially worth nothing as it was merely a business on paper, but airship was making money, albeit in the most unscrupulous way possible. So this little piece is from uh, an article in Vanity in Vanity Fair a few years ago about Lou. So Bencher pushed Perlman to expand airship, and, and he did, eventually acquiring four more blimps, which were leased to SeaWorld, Metropolitan Life, Gulf Oil, and others. Fun fact, this point in time, SeaWorld is owned by Anheuser-Busch. Mm, I knew that, actually. Did you? Yeah, I knew it used to be owned by Budweiser. So, so what theme park does PBR own? Oh, oh that's right, off. they don't. Fuck <laughs> off. If they, if they keep on like with their branding and their like, genius social media presence right now, I'm sure they will own a park about the end of like the decade. Uh, anyway, to keep going. Actually, I wasn't see. It might have been SeaWorld. I went to a park in Florida when I was really young, and I remember there being like a Clydesdale, as you can see. It could have been Bush Gardens. Might have been Bush Gardens. But I went to Bush Gardens again recently, and they didn't have any of that. Uh, Is Bush Gardens owned by Anweiser Bush? Oh my God, I just put this together. So you knew SeaWorld, but you didn't know Bush Gardens. Yeah. What? <laughs> it's remarkable. That's all. No, it's just remarkable. So anyway, back to that Vanity Fair write-up. Georgia so, Public Source. 
<laughs> I didn't say it. I don't say that. Uh, <laughs> to, to, so to raise the needed funds, Perlman, true to his penny stock roots, turned to a shady Colorado brokerage house, which in two public offerings helped raise about $17 million, um, selling airship stock to its investors. So the first God round he damn. got three, and then he they went back. Here's the kicker. The firm was what Wall Street calls a boiler room. That is, it hawked risky, overpriced stock to unsuspecting investors. In 1993, shortly after the Perlman offerings, the firm, Chatfield Dean & Co., was hit with a $2.4 million in fines by the National Association of Security Dealers for swindling investors. It later agreed to a settlement with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Among the allegations were charges that Chatfield brokers took investors' orders for one stock but actually bought airship shares instead. Mm, so they're like, so shady. yeah. So they're like, hey, I want, I want a hundred stocks of GM or a hundred shares of GM, and then they'd put it in the airship just to overinflate Man. the. <laughs> I mean, like that's so shady, but that's why Lou went there because that's he knew. lying, like straight up. That's why. Oh yeah, <laughs> like they're lying and just stealing and stealing somebody's money and putting it right. where they don't want it to be. Right. If this were like, uh, like this is the same thing as like robbing a gas station, except it's white collars. They're not going right. to get prison time for it. Yeah, and none of them doesn't sound like any of them do. They got fined and they got like suspended from practicing, uh, you know, or, or uh, trading securities for a year. But right, then, like that's it. It's insane because like if I went to somebody's house and I robbed them a gunpoint and stole a hundred dollars, and if somebody went and invested somebody's money in a hundred dollars, it's still you're still stealing a hundred dollars either way you look at it, right? Yep. But. The common criminal that goes and steals $100 from this person in his neighborhood is going to get prison. And this guy that steals $100 from some uns- unsuspecting grandma over the phone is going to get nothing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, you know, so it, it's it's weird what we've decided is criminal versus what's civil. Because if you robbed someone of $100, the police come, it's criminal, right? Right. But let's say your boss withholds wages from you which is something that we know happens, not you specifically, right. but like, right. this is a big issue for a lot of people. And what do you do? You can't go to the cops for that, right? They say, oh, it's a civil matter. That's, you're still stealing $100. Either right. way you look at it, $100 right. is not in your wallet. But like, there's something about like the way that you steal it, it becomes not the crime, it becomes a civil matter. It's such bullshit. Well, it's because our government is designed to protect corporations instead of the people. But hey, 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 I'm not a political podcast, and we're not going to do that. <laughs> Listen, we, t- we talk about money. There's nothing that isn't political about money. Yeah, you know, you know. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Lou loved the work that this firm did, naturally, right? Because he was able to raise $17 million through him. So much so that one of Chadfield's brokers was banned from securities trading for a year. He was hired by Lou to help raise more money for the company. Oh, man. I love what you did. <laughs> I love I love your act. work. Come on, come on over here. <laughs> Haters are gonna hate. The SEC is gonna hate. But I, I can see real talent when I, when I, when I look at it. Well, it is talent. I'm not gonna say these people aren't talented. Like they're really talented at stealing people's money. But yep. <laughs> it's a bad talent. So Lou, I think at this point, Lou feels like kind of a. He's a little bit impulsive and self-destructive like he's just a mess like he's all over the place he's making wild decisions based on really nothing um 
but Bencher, uh, Julian Bencher, was treating it as a real business. And he was really trying to, like, shepherd this business through and, and kind of, like, make it successful. And he worked hard at doing that. He made a lot of decisions on the company's behalf that would keep it afloat. And basically, I think Bencher's real big st- challenge with this is keeping Lou on the, you know, like, focused. He's like, Lou, you, you're the owner. You can't do that. You need to do this and this and this because that's the business. And, you know, that's that's the big the big conflict. It's like he's having to run off or run run after a big ass toddler all day. Like, yeah. hey, don't mess with that. Come back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Lou was more interested in financing his lifestyle and making sure that right. everybody knew he was a big shot than he was actually running a business. And then That's- why not just like own forty nine percent stock and let somebody else take over the operations of this business? It would still make half of the money, but you won't be running the business. He wants and to it feels be the like, boss. He's, he's it feels be like the that's the best move to make, though, right? Yep. I Obviously, agree. this guy is interested in running a company. Just let him have the majority of the shares and let him run operations, and then you just have like just under majority and just take half of the money. Yep. I totally. I mean, that's what I would do. I feel like. I feel like you miss that a lot in startup culture where the founders want to be the CEOs. And it's like, you may not be the best person to be the CEO of this company. Right. You had a good idea, but you're not a businessman. Right. Like you don't know how to build this into something bigger than it actually is. Right. I don't know. It's pride, man. Too much pride. Well, and so another thing that's really important to understand about Lou is that he hires his friends into roles that they probably shouldn't have. Right. Right. So like his head of operations used to be um, a guy who drove a taxi in Queens that he knew they grew up together. You know, like these are I respect that though. I do too, but he puts them into positions where they have zero expertise and they don't know how to do their job. And that makes them reliant on Lou. And it also makes it so Lou can do whatever he wants and nobody knows what the fuck he's doing (laughs) because Mm. these guys I mean, like if you'd had professional people that came in they would go, something is very wrong, and they would know it very quickly. And, right. and, and Lou would, you know, be knocked out of the company, or, you know, it would it would become very obvious. But now you had a bunch of people that are just making a boatload of money as executives at this company, and they, they're being taken care of by their friend. And they don't know, they're not even, they don't think to investigate this guy, not right. right now anyway. And so they're they're in there like he he offered a job to his barber, <laughs> you know his barber didn't end up taking the job, but he was like, hey, you want to come down, you know, like let's come come work for me, you know. He's he's just got all these guys that have been around his him forever, and I do like the loyalty. I think that that's great. I think you you know if you you know can bring your friends into business when you can, but also at the same right. time, it's like when you're dealing with this much money and other people's money, right. you have to be responsible for that. Like, yeah, put your friends on, but don't give them such an important, like, job, you know? Yeah, Yeah. and that's, I mean, all the senior people at his his companies would either be friends or, like, disbarred attorneys or, like, Mm. shady stockbrokers that he was, like, their savior because he would give them jobs when no one else would. Yeah, but they, they're also there's consultants I would think of too. Like, yeah, this this barred attorney, he's there to tell you how to get around the law, right. In this certain way. Yeah, I see the disbarred attorney and the and the, like the the licensed suspended traders. I see those as being right. they at least know what they're doing. But you know, the friend stuff, it's like, oh yeah, he oh, yeah. To drive me around. That's you know, this is my guy. Let's make him the CFO. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's a big thing that you're gonna see um, with him, and that's that's also I think why he was ultimately able to do what he was doing for as long as he was because his friends aren't gonna rat him out. Like they've got. 
these the crazy six figure salaries that they wouldn't have ever had otherwise. Um, and it's all because of Lou. So everybody's in debt to him. It's a little mafia right. where it's like everybody owes you something. Mm, okay. Yeah, it's starting to make sense now. Um, so Dunn and Bradstreet, have you ever heard of this company? No. I had a feeling because they're kind of a little obscure outside of the financial world. But they're, they're a company that collects insight on other businesses. All right. And basically what that means often for it's often like financial reporting. So let's say one firm is looking to take over and buy another firm, but they want to go in there and make sure their financials are up to par and that there's no like an appraisal, like an appraisal. So they contact Dun and Bradstreet who have this database and all this information. They can say, Hey, this, 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 these are what they filed. They've got all this information about all these different companies and they can say, yeah, it's on the level. It's probably worth what you, what you paid. And they go, great. We're going to buy them up. So it's a, um, it's a very reputable company. It's a respected business. And as of 2017, just so you know how big this company is, they uh, pulled in $1.7 billion. So this is, Jesus. A, <laughs> this is not like mom and pop. Now we're not, we're obviously talking about, we're talking about the, where are we now? We're in the eighties at this point. So Lou somehow, well, I know exactly how I want to tell you in just a second manages to pull the wool over Dun and Bradstreet's eyes. Oh, wow. He uh, had them convinced that Transcon Airlines operated more than 49 aircraft, including 14 727s, and had an annual revenue of $78 million. How? How did he convince I, I'm glad you asked that. So none of that was true. They didn't own a single aircraft let alone Obviously, 49 this company is struggling it's doggy paddling in the it's ocean not, right it's now. not even that it's just on paper there's no company like it's just on paper oh wow. just... so he's not leasing any planes anymore to really no, he is anything? he's still leasing planes but he's not he's not gonna have any assets like it's not worth 70 oh, okay. million dollars because it okay. doesn't have any doesn't own anything gotcha um so why why were they able to like dun and bradstreet certified that all of this was true well they didn't really do, they were sloppy and they didn't do their homework on this company on, on transcontinental airlines. They, uh, Lou had an outside auditor, uh, outside auditor in the agency was called, um, Cohen and Siegel affirm all the company's financials, right? So that's what you do. You submit it to an auditor, auditor pullers through every, all of your numbers. And they said, yes, this is right. Or no, it's not. The auditor, auditor passed that information on Dun and Bradstreet. But had done at Bradstreet actually done a little investigation, they would have discovered that Cohen and Siegel wasn't an actual company. It was a call center Lou had hired to front as an auditor. Mm, okay. So, is, smart. So, so he's auditing, auditing in big quotes, his own bogus finances. <laughs> and then tell him, oh, everything comes up and up. Yep. And these big respected like financial services are going, yeah, okay, looks good. The auditor says it's good and it's good without actually taking the time to look into it for themselves. Man, just lazy on this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So at this point you're looking at, um, venture and all the assorted friends are running all the companies for it. And Lou has decided he needs to figure out another way to bring in some revenue, right? He's, he's going through as much as it is, you know, I've got the charter service, you've got the big balloons and normal people would be happy with that. Right. He's got a lot of income. He's like, yeah. he's making some money. He's doing well. Lou is not. And so he dreams up his next scheme, which is now it's called uh, an employee investment savings account or EISA. 
Okay. Sounds important. Yeah, it sounds like a, like a stock program, right? Yeah, well, it's like a retirement program. It's like 401k, okay. right? So gotcha. it's, it's ostensibly a retirement savings account for employees and investors in Transcon. Seemed like a safe investment, only promising returns slightly above the prime rate. So you weren't going to get really rich off of this, but no other bank would have be, be able to offer the same rate. Okay. Right? So this is not like... You know, this is not like Charles Ponzi saying you're going to double your money in 90 days, right? This is like he's just saying you're going to be comfortable after you get done working, right? And he's saying, hey, if the prime rate that's offered at all these other banks is seven percent interest, we'll give you eight, right? Because we've okay. we we have enough of these investments where we can give you eight, and so people are they trust Lou, you know? They're like, hey, why not? You know, he's got he's clearly got this huge company, he's got all these planes, he's got these big airships. I mean, he he knows what he's doing. Let's give him all of our life savings. <laughs> yep. Oh, no. <laughs> are, you, are you starting to see where this might be going? Oh, man. Lou, yeah. Lou, Lou. Yep. So he's he's taking those life savings. That's 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 a good thing. Um, so he, he also claimed that these the big selling point for him, that these ESAs were insured by the FDIC, Lloyds of London, and AIG. Um for anybody that doubted him, Lou would gladly show him the, the policies in, in his office, which right. were all forgeries. None of it, it was not insured by any of these companies. Oh, man. This podcast is really doing a number on how much I trust people. <laughs> I almost want to say good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh, hey, man, the intro, the intro of the podcast uh, made anything clear. <laughs> Dalton trusts way too much. Dalton is Dalton. I mean, no, but that's we're a lot different in that regard because I feel like I'm I've I've grown very cynical in the last few years, and it's it's nice to see you your trust. I'm going to ruin it, but it's nice to see someone <laughs> who's so open and warm and trusting. A bright shining light of optimism <laughs> slowly being slowly putting the cover on it. Yeah. I was like, there it is. Let's put it out. <laughs> yeah. So he's, so now he's got three vehicles, right? He's got the airship company. He's got the, the, the plane charter company and he's got these ESAs, these employee investment savings accounts. So these are three revenue steams and he decides he wants to relocate. Where do you think he goes? Hmm. Oh, come on. Oh, no. I'll put the pressure on. Uh, he's in New York City. Yep. He wants to go to Hollywood. No. Los Angeles, California. I served this up for you. He goes oh, to Florida. No. Oh, Florida. Come on. All grifters welcome. That's, I mean, <laughs> honestly, yes. So he. We love you guys down here. Well, there's reasons for that, too. And we'll, we'll go through that um, in just a second. But he... No state tax. <laughs> that's one of them. There's another one that I just recently learned about and I thought was fascinating. Um, so he loves Orlando. And he's been vacationing As down there. Should. Orlando's a great place. He loves it. And he's been vacationing there since he was in college. Um, he actually had his pilot's license at a, um, early on. And so he'd get all his college friends and he'd be like, hey, let's charter a plane together and I'll fly us down to Orlando. And... They love that because they were like, hey, look at this plane that we just chartered. And he loved it because he could get his flying miles in, you know, like his, right. his, for piloting. So he did that for a long time. So he decides to move everybody down to Florida. So he pays to relocate all of his team down to Florida. It makes sense because, like I said, he, he loves Florida, but he, Orlando specifically. But also, guess what Florida has a lot of? 
Retirees. Yes. Yes. Oh, I did it. <laughs> so guess who what retirees are concerned with? Their retirement Hi. plans. Uh no joke. Uh, before me me and Vic moved down to Florida for a brief bit, Clearwater to be exact. And while we were there, we have a, a friend that lives down in Clearwater also. And we'd be riding around and I'm like, I wonder how much that apartment building, I wonder how much it costs to rent one of those apartments. And uh, my friend, his name Robbie, he was like, dude, those aren't apartments. Those are uh, assisted living homes. And I shit you not, like these places would take up like city blocks and would be like, like an apartment, like an apartment building, like 10 or 11 stories high. I'm like, all of that is like senior citizens. It's like, yeah, the retirees, they move in from, you know, New York and Los Angeles and they move to Florida to retire. Yep. And that, and Lou was very much aware of that when he moved his operation down there. He was like, if I'm going to continue getting the old people's money, Florida is the place to be. Hey, man. They have a, they have a thing the police use called Code Gray. Guess what Code Gray is? An old dead person? No, an old person that escaped the uh, senior assisted living home. <laughs> and like it'll be on like on the highway, like you'll see uh, Code Gray license plate, blah 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 blah, age, blah blah. Yeah. <laughs> also sad. This is, Amber you know, alerts for children. Code Gray for old folks. Oh mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, in addition to no state income tax and a lot of retirees, the another reason these grifters like going down to Florida is a thing called the Homestead Act, which I just learned about. So if you are in debt and underwater on a loan or credit cards, or if you file for, you know, for bankruptcy or anything like that, in Florida, those debtors cannot touch your house. God bless Florida, man. I love Florida. Only <laughs> the bank can. So if you get behind on your mortgage, the bank owns the house, they can come and get it. Right. But anything else, they can't touch the house unless you put the house up as an asset to secure the loan. That's the only time they okay. can do it. So it you, you can you can charge up all this money, and never pay it back, and they can take everything but your house in Florida. Gotcha. Okay. So that makes yeah. it another lucrative. If like you intend to do some shady shit that you might get into a lot of debt from, go to Florida, buy a okay. house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Um, He's got a ton of money coming in from the ISIS the, at this point. When all of a sudden, the slow creep of Art Garfunkel's influence comes upon Lou. Um, his next venture was going to be the biggest one yet. And this is from the book, The Hit Charade, which is a very good read, uh, read by Tyler Gray. I'm just going to give you a little background, and then we'll talk about what it is. In 1989, Lou described Transcontinental Airlines as a low-maintenance money mint, and no one questioned him. He was, after all, renting out charter flights to the rich and famous, including rock stars, on tour, such as Paul McCartney, Michael Jackson, his cousin Art Garfunkel, and others. Then one day that year, his, this band he'd never heard of called New Kids on the Block booked one of his $250,000 a month planes. They even paid Lou with a brown paper sack full of cash. Nice. <laughs> I love yeah. that kind of fuck you money. We're just like, here you right? go, man. <laughs> so he wondered how a young uh, pop group was able to charter such a big plane. He did some digging around and discovered that the new kids on the block had made $200 million in concert revenue and an additional $800 million in merchandising. God damn. Right, I don't. That's a lot of money. Definitely don't remember how big New Kids on the Block. No, were, no, I don't. But I very much do. I mean, they had fucking dolls. New Kids on the Block dolls. They were all over TV. 
every it, it was crazy i mean like that is that is the the boy band of really modern boy bands well i know you're going to bring them up but i have a i have something to say on a boy band later okay well so now that we've given that away lou decided that he needed to get into the boy band industry and he was going <laughs> to buy his way into it come hell or high water but it ain't no lie, baby. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> for you. Don't gift to Don't you, but it ain't no lie. Bye, 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 bye. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to hear more of that on the next episode. Because we're going to leave the it there. Fuck? Yeah, we got to leave it. We got to leave a cliffhanger. <laughs> Oh, man. So we're uh, setting the stage. This whole episode has been setting the stage for his big moment, and there's a lot more to come. No joke. No Strings Attacked by NSYNC was one of the first CDs I ever bought with my own money. Well, you're going to learn something very fun about that album specifically then. I remember, uh, might have been three. I know one of them was the single for Genie in a Bottle by Christina Aguilera. Another one was No Strings Attached by NSYNC. Guess what? The third CD I remember buying at a very young age was. Ooh. Was it a Britney Spears? No. Hmm. I don't it, think it was a very instrumental in the taste of music I have today. Corn? No. Uh, Get Richard Dottron by 50 Cent. Oh, okay. I would not guess that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's... This is gonna. It's yeah. We're gonna. We got a lot to come in the next episode, so I'm really excited to get into it. But I wanted yeah, to man. Wanted set the stage without being a two and a half hour episode. <laughs> well, like in, industry uh, industry musicians are very interesting to me. Like I like I don't know a lot about that world, but I really want to like get into it because there's a like just pop stars in general. Like they just come out of nowhere. Like this Olivia. What help me out? You probably know who she is. Has that good for you song? Olivia. Oh, um, God, I know who you're talking about for once. It's a really fucking good song. Um, I know Olivia Rodrigo. Rat. Yeah, she just came out of nowhere, and I have a feeling that like that's an industry type thing right there. Yeah, and it's I mean it's an old industry, and the way that they've done things. I don't want to get too much into it. Maybe edit some of this out just yeah. to just to wrap it up but we'll learn a little bit about it i don't go totally i'm not gonna go too too deep on it because i'm more interested in like the financial aspect of it but <laughs> the we'll, last the last song i saved on spotify what does it say good for oh you. good for you <laughs> <laughs> all right so should we wrap this up for the recording anyway yeah 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 uh we have friends so oh, i'm gonna fuck this up it's been a while baby <laughs> We got friends. Check out our friends at Pod Van Dam, IWTV Guide, Super Fantastic, Wrestling Cheers, Sweet Stuff and Bitter Things Podcast, Hard Headed and X Over. Uh, check us out on social media. You can find us at Catch My Griff Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at Catch Dalton on Twitter. You can find Austin on Twitter at Austin Agogo. Uh, man, so much happened in this episode and things and stuff and pop stars and blimps and airplanes. Austin, anything you want to leave them with? A lot of blimp talk, but I just want to say, stay beautiful. Oh, he has a little catchphrase and it's so cute. We'll see <laughs> you next time on If You Catch My Grift. If You Catch My Blimp. If You Catch My Planes That Don't <laughs> Exist. <laughs> <laughs> Oh,
Let me paint this picture for you, baby. Yo. You spend your nights alone, and he never comes home. And every time you call him, all you get's a busy tone. I heard you found out that he's doing to you what you did to me. Ain't that the way it goes? When you cheat a girl, my heart bleed a girl. So it goes without saying that you left me feeling hurt. Just a classic case, a scenario. Tell his oldest time, girl, you got what you deserved. And now you want somebody to cure the lonely nights. You wish you had somebody that could come and make it right. But girl, I ain't somebody with a lot of sympathy. left his chair and his microphone and his headphones. I hear you talking, motherfucker. Yeah, but you don't know what I'm saying. Yes, I do know what you're saying. I've left my chair. No, you don't. <laughs> Litter box is in here, and they were meowing at the door. So. <laughs> I, I, I have so much trouble with the way the litter box smells. No matter, like, it doesn't matter how much you clean it. It always stinks. That's why I've got this candle like right under my nose. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what's making you hot too it's yeah like it is the but candles heating up hot. the room <laughs> i'd rather be hot than smell freaking Cabinet. waste yeah 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 stop eating that <laughs> go ahead <laughs> oh jeez, he's gotten so big yeah dude oh my god <laughs> he's huge yes he's only we got him in april so May, June, July, August. Four months old. He's long. Yes. He's a long cat. He's a long boy. All right. Lou. Big Lou. Fat Lou. Fat Louie. So 